Good morning, good evening, wherever you are across the world and the universe. Welcome to my Quantum Living Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything at the intersection of science and spirituality. I'm your host, Anna Anderson, quantum coach, Reiki master, intuitive counselor, and above all, an inquisitive soul. Since my early childhood, I've been on the quest to find out how life really works. And the best clue I've got so far is the sacred alchemy of physics and metaphysics, science and spirituality, mind, body and spirit, which together reveal the truths we all want to know. Who am I? Why am I here? What is life all about? How can I live my life to realize my highest potential with fulfillment, prosperity and joy? How can I manifest what I want? I'd love to share with you on this podcast what I have learned over the years and bring you inspiring conversations with my guests who will share their expertise as well. So sit back, relax and enjoy today's episode. Okay, let's begin. Hello and welcome back to Quantum Living. Today's episode is one of the nine weekly bonus episodes I am releasing during the Christmas and New Year festive season, in addition to the regular episodes coming out every second Wednesday. These bonus episodes were first published on my podcast a few years ago, and later on, at some point, they were removed from the RSS feed as the production was somewhat outdated. I have now decided to bring them back to you, refreshed and remastered in line with my current production framework. The quality of the conversations, insight, humor and deep thought, however, is the same. You might notice perhaps a different style of my interviewing, a different pace or approach, but that's okay. It doesn't matter. After all, This is not about me, but about the contribution of those guests to the narrative of the intersection of science and spirituality in the field of their expertise. What they have shared with me and you on these podcasts is timeless, relevant, often profound, entertaining and fun. (laughs) So sit back and enjoy these bonus interviews, and if you like, please drop me a line on my podcast website about your experience. I'd love to hear from you. Okay, let's begin. Hello and welcome to part two of my conversation with Peter Smith about quantum consciousness and so much more. Let's pick up when we left off. Okay, Pete, let's go back to the notion of afterlife or life between lives, as this is one of the most unknown, undiscovered, unspoken concept, even in a broader field of quantum understanding. So if someone asked you, what evidence do I have that when I die, I will go to another place, fully conscious, and then come back into a new life? I'd like to share here my personal story. When I was little, about four or five years old, I asked my father, as children do, what will happen when I die? And my father replied, nothing. You will simply cease to exist. 
That was a very scary thought, as I couldn't imagine nothingness. Where will I be? And it didn't resonate with me at all, as I knew deep down that I cannot not be. I felt that there was much more to it, and my father simply didn't know. So I decided that, okay, since I can't get the answer from my parents, I need to find it myself. And since I could read from the age of three, I pretty soon dived into the field of personal development and spirituality, reading tons of books that were quite advanced for my age, and listened to motivational tapes, as I had this urge to know how life works and what happens when I die. I couldn't accept that I live and die, and that's it. It was like looking at a two-dimensional picture in a multi-dimensional world. It simply didn't gel. We're talking research versus belief systems in this conversation. Now, where does the research come from and where do the belief systems come from is what we need to seek. So if we look, we look at the belief systems, every Indigenous culture on the planet had a belief of an afterlife. Now, doesn't that seem incredibly unique that all of the, um, they all honour the spirit that went back to whether it was great spirit for the Native Americans, the Dreamtime for the Australian Aborigines, you know, whether it was, you know, Allah, Muhammad, God, all of these, uh, Yahweh, all of these great um, spiritual monuments of the great religions, um, they all embraced an afterlife. All of the indigenous cultures embraced the afterlife. Now, if we flip to modern day science and we start to look at near-death experiences and the documentation of that, we look at Ray Moody's work, 100 cases of people going down the tunnel, being greeted by relatives, coming back and naming the people that they saw. I mean, you know, Ray's in his 80s now, I think, but his work back in the 70s and 80s was phenomenal. Uh, more recent books by Anita Morjani or Evan Alexander, you know, um, having taken that journey and, and then made their way back. Michael Newton's work, 7,000 case studies, followed up by another 60,000. The reincarnation work of Helen Wombach, 1,200 case studies. Um, Dr. Ian Stevenson's work at the University of Virginia, 3,000 case studies of eyewitness testimonies in mainly India and Asian countries of people who had past life memories, came back, interviewed the family, drove across town and validated all their information. So by the time you start to assemble all of this, and with all due respect to your dad, um, you know we can we can see that as as probably him expressing a, a in you know with good intent, no doubt, his belief system versus what the research has been showing us. So it's very rare to see um, indigenous cultures, um, the traditional main religions, and more recent research all lining up into the fact that something happens after we die. Now, if you throw some of the science in there too, you know, energy cannot be destroyed. It just changes shape and form. If you look at the, uh, the guy that did that original um, uh, experiment, his name was McDougall, I think, back in the early 1900s, and it was a bit dodgy because he got, uh, got in touch with the, the morgue. I think people were dying of some sort of disease, and he got a people who were near death, and he weighed them just before death and just after death. And that's where the whole legend of 21 grams comes from, uh, ounces or whatever it was in his day, as to the weight of the human soul. 
So even he could see that there was a shift between the live body and the dead body. Uh, what is the difference? Well, there's consciousness is the difference. So the consciousness was there and now it's not there. So does that consciousness go somewhere or does it just disappear? We know through all of the other research that it, it continues its journey onward. So what I'd say to people who are, you know, wondering about this, first of all, I'd say all of that. And then I'd say, uh, what about mediumship? What about people who have uh, gone to see a, a medium and, and, you know, there are some good mediums out there and some of them who, who may not be as good as the others. I mean, who knows? But word of mouth is always a great determiner on how to find one. But, you know, people say, well, your father wants you to know this and he wants to tell you about that brooch that your mother left you. Now, these people don't know this stuff. Uh, when we're open to these experiences, when we can stay connected to consciousness, let's remember that souls are entangled and they incarnate together um, time and time again. So if you're quantumly entangled with that person at the soul level, why shouldn't you just be able to close your eyes and have a conversation with them? I mean, all of this is very practical and logical to me, and there's no woo-woo in any of this. I mean, there's so many credible people who are now lining up with this concept of the afterlife that this is so good for humanity because ultimately as we all come together with this, we resolve the greatest fear of everyone being human, and that's the fear of death. So if death is a myth, misnomer, what have we really got to be scared about? I think it was um, one of the old American presidents said, um, I can't remember which one it was now, um, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. And that's so true. Speaking of mediumship and psychics, how can psychics see into and predict our future? How can they see what choices we will make? I can say that I have had a number of psychic readings in the course of my life where a small handful of them were incredibly accurate. I will throw in one more question, which is bugging me a little. Isn't it an invasion of spiritual privacy when someone can access information in my energy field and can see events or potential events in my future? <laughs> mm. What mm. What are your thoughts on this? <laughs> you know, I was intrigued by this as well, Anna, and um, I've had a chat with a couple of psychics about this because the quantum stuff was coming up, and I had a chat with, with a couple of um great psychics, Joyce Kay and uh, and Greg Riley. I don't know if you know Greg. He was on the telly years ago with the um, uh, the One when they did that Australia's Greatest Psychic Show and he, he won that second edition of that show. And he's an old mate of mine and, and we've explored some of this. He's trained in the work that I do as well um, and a student and a friend of mine over the years. And, I mean, I put it to Greg. I said, mate, what's going on with this? You know, because he would get a lot of uh, requests for, you know, tell me my future and all that. And and he started to express it in a way that was really helpful, I felt. And he would say that, and, and Joyce as well, they would say all we're telling people is um, a possible outcome if they continue on the path that they're going. But it's not a set future. It doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to go there. So they read a person's future in a way that, you know, under the current energy that you're in at the moment, under this intention, this vibration, 
position that you're holding. This is what I see as your future. But the question then becomes to you, do you want to change that? And do you want a different type of future? Do you want to jump to another timeline? And I love the interweave of um, the psychic phenomenon and the empowerment of you choose your own destiny as per the quantum field. And I think that's a, a, a wonderful way to say it. I know that there's psychics out there as well that are saying this is your future and this is how it's going to be. And I'll be contentious maybe just for a moment. I would say that those psychics are actually robbing that person of their free will. And what they're telling them is going to come out is that they are making that a self-fulfilling prophecy by that person, by leading them to express their free will, to say, well, this is inevitable. And if that becomes their free will, they'll make it a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, I find the, the psychic phenomena is interesting, but not definite. And that's why a lot of people come back and they say, well, that came true and that bit didn't. I said, well, that's great because maybe by having the conversation with the psychic, you were able to work out what you didn't want. Then you carried an intention for something else. So in that way, they've actually served you by putting in your line of sight that which you don't want to manifest and offered you the opportunity to exercise your free will to have a different future than the one that they saw for you. So rather than the psychic wrong, maybe the psychic actually served them. Yes, I really love your view on this as it does make sense. I agree that you can blend psychic work with the quantum consciousness work quite elegantly, if you do it in the right way. I still feel that there is much more to it. I had my very first psychic reading many years ago, I think I was 22 at the time, with a genuine psychic. Some of the things he predicted were going many years into the future, and these situations, I would say, were surely subject to my free will. Also, they were not something I would want to agree with or necessarily accept or want in my life. And so I have actually discounted them. In this case, the element of self-fulfilling prophecy was taken out of the equation. And yet, these events have come to pass exactly as he said, and at the time he predicted. So, how did this happen? <laughs> and, and I guess there's maybe a possibility that what he was reading out of your energy was one of those self-destined events or things that were going to happen in your life that were planned before you came. So, maybe there was no way to escape it. Maybe it joins a couple of those theories together, Anna, that we were talking about over this past little while, that maybe that was something that was, you know, always going to happen because it was orchestrated before you came. So all you were left with was your, was your free will to, yeah, yeah, you were just left with your free will on how you respond. Now, speaking of timelines and time, let's jump into the concept that time is an illusion. This is yet another difficult concept to grasp, as our whole life is so dependent on time. Absolutely. Which we perceive only as a linear progression. I believe in the physical world, we need time as uh, an indicator of how things change. 
everything changes. We think we say how things change over time. A child grows to an adult, a puppy to a dog, um, a seed to a tree, and we measure that over time. But there are times when time seems to stand still or to, or seems to stretch. And I think we've all had those experiences where, you know, you go to the dinner party you don't want to go to and it goes for like, seems like it goes for about three days, but you uh, watch a movie, you've been really looking forward to move and you say, oh, is it over already? I guess for, for me, with my background, what changed for me in my concept of time was not just Newton's way of, uh, sorry, um, Einstein's way of looking at it, but Michael Newton's way of looking at it as well. Whereas Einstein says time is an illusion, Michael Newton talks a lot about now time. So when we get back into the spiritual realm and we look at the sweeping of you across the lineage of our soul and we look at the fact that time is like an instant and I can look at the theme. There's only one theme. It might have been in 20 of my lifetimes, but it's only one theme and it's here and it's with me now. You know, I take somebody in, a, in another lifetime back to the Colosseum and they're writhing around on the Colosseum getting speared by another gladiator and they're, um, you know, they're writhing around in the now and it might be the year 2021 and they're there and they're doing it now. When, you know, I've helped people release the trauma of when they were five years old, uh, they might be 45 now and they're still holding the trauma of mum and dad when they were five and it's still affecting them now, even though it was 40 years ago. We go back in time, we help the five-year-old, the 45-year-old feels different. So these displays of time and how it changes are quite phenomenal. You know, I talked about my time in the in the chair at the back of the doctor's surgery when I first discovered hypnotherapy. And I thought it was five minutes and she had told me it was half an hour. It's like time is malleable and it's used as a yardstick or some sort of a measuring device to help us understand how our consciousness matures. We learn different lessons and we accumulate wisdom within a lifetime. One of the things that really started to throw me, and, and I'm sure you'd have some past life people that listen to this uh, podcast, was when I first took somebody back into the in-between lives and um, I said something along the lines of they'd just come out of um, a life in the 1800s or something. And I said, where, where do you, you know, you're out of the 1800s now. What are you drawn to do in your next lifetime? And they said to me, I'm going to incarnate in the 1200s because I'd like to learn what it's like to live in the dark ages. <laughs> and I thought, what? <laughs> and when you, when you have experiences like that, it really starts to disrupt your view of linear time. And, you know, it's like uh, we just need it as something we can hold on to. You know, we look at our watches, you know, what time's my favourite show on or when does the football start or whatever that may be. You know, we need time, but we need to understand that time is is like a measuring stick and time is not reality. Uh, reality is reality and time is a component of reality that can shift a little bit uh, under our mindsets that most offer us the opportunity to do so. Mm, absolutely. I'm going to ask you a tricky question. <laughs> you said in your book that when we create a new reality, it is tailored to us in response to our needs. How our individual realities, individual outcomes are then reconciled in the consensus reality, if there is such a thing? For example, if two people want a different outcome of the same situation, 
How does it play out in the scheme of things? Well, you've got to wonder whether there's an interweave of alternate realities there where they both get their way. Maybe there's four separate realities. <laughs> so when I say that we create things for our own learning, let's, let's be clear why the soul comes back to this planet. Uh, we come here to learn. We come here to expand our understanding of the universe or, you know, as, as a couple of friends say to me, and you know, we come here to remember who we really are. And I love that. So given that we come here to learn, everything is about our learning. We create alternate realities to learn. We incarnate to learn. We set up these predestined ideas and thoughts in order to learn. All of it is about our learning. Now, if we're building one multi-dimensional classroom for ourselves at Souls that interweave with other people's classrooms, we're always going to create them in ways that meet that intention. So when I talk about realities unfolding that are here for that meet our needs, our needs are ones of the accumulation of wisdom and sometimes of healing. There's an overlay across all of those classrooms at the moment on this planet, I believe, that we are all here to contribute to the shift of consciousness of humanity as well, whether that's just by our own individual unique remembering of who we are or whether it's a contribution to help others do the same. I feel that healing is a big part of this shift of consciousness. And a lot of people are looking for healing not only at the soul level or spiritual level, but also at the physical level. Could you talk to the concept of quantum healing, which involves mind, body, spirit, and accessing other realms in other realities? Yeah. You know, physical healing, you know, is, is it physical healing or is there more to it? Somebody falls and breaks their leg. I had an accident. I broke my leg. Okay, let's understand the significance of the accident. Is this just about a, a broken a broken shin bone or is this about needing to slow down? Is this something you've unconsciously manifested as a way to take a breather? Um, is this a message from spirit? You know, I remember years and years ago, um, I was being called to this work and um, I delayed, for you know, because it was going to be a big impact on my life personally, all that sort of stuff. Um, I delayed and I delayed and I delayed. And in my left ear, I formed a carcinoma and uh, a BCC, basal cell carcinoma. So I had to go and I had to have surgery to have this cancer pulled out of my ear. I had to have a skin graft and they had to reconstruct my ear, all of this sort of stuff. And I sat with it and I thought, well, spirit's really trying to get my attention, you know, the left side, the spiritual side, listening. I mean, the whole thing was a metaphor for me. And I thought, oh, goodness, if I'm going to manifest that type of disruption in my body from not listening to the purpose for which I came here, I'd better get on with it. <laughs> and that was a turning point for me. I believe that there is so much that happens in the physical body because we're not listening to our emotions, because we do suppress things really well, particularly in the Western world. We do tend to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for, conditioned. We do tend to be conditioned by our culture, by our education systems, by 
by so many of these different um, intrusions into our life that tell us how to think. So sometimes the only way we can get through to people is through the physiology. Um, I was talking to somebody this week about chronic fatigue syndrome. Uh, there's a lot of that around, and I've dealt with it a lot over the years. But what I've found that's most behind chronic fatigue syndrome is um, not feeling good enough. And ultimately, um, that leads to a, well, you know, I don't feel good enough, so I'm just not going to try anymore. And there are some mindsets behind all of the, the healing mechanisms. You know, if we look at the, you know, the increase in cancer, now, I once had I once I once did some experimental work, and I took somebody who I knew had had a past life in Atlantis, and I know we can talk about the Atlantis phenomenon or whatever it is. And I've had four or five people tell me they were responsible for the destruction of Atlantis over the years. <laughs> so there's a lot of stuff around this legend that people process. But this lady went to an ancient civilization where they use crystals for healing. And they used to lie them on in crystal rooms. Uh, they used different types of crystals, some of them in liquid form. So it was pretty clear to me this was an advanced civilization, whether it was Atlantis or on a, another planet, I'm not sure. I, I just called it Atlantis for neatness. But we took it back there because I was doing some work with cancer. And I wanted to understand the connection between different crystals and different cancers and whether it could lead to healing. And I, told, I asked that person back in that space, you know, we're having conversation across time and space. She's back there doing the work in the lab. And I said to her, how did you guys cure cancer? And she says, oh, we don't have to. We don't have cancer. I went, oh. <laughs> but I was onto something. And I said, why do, you, um, why do you not have cancer? She said, well, cancer is a modern disease. It's a lifestyle thing for people in, in that time. Um, we just don't have it here because we have a different way of living. And that was really interesting. And that took me to investigate further. And I came across the work of a guy by the name of Reiki Hamer, R-Y-K-E-H-A-M-E-R. And he was a doctor in Germany and he's behind a field of work called German New Medicine. Uh, he was so successful in his work that they ostracized him and he had to leave the country and he hid out in Norway for a long period of time and, until his passing. So normally when somebody is, um, they try to throw them in jail, they're really onto something if he's just like a doctor. So, um, and he talked about the shift in brain chemistry that happens from trauma that then manifests as different cancers and diseases in the body. And his work was quite brilliant. But again, it's probably the best piece of work I've seen on the intricacies of the, um, the emotional manifestation of physical illness. And um, that's the sort of thing for us to understand. If we have some sort of a physical injury, um, or some sort of a disease or whatever it may be. It's about understanding what was instrumental in its creation. And what I would do is I'd say, when did it have the first symptoms? And when did it start to manifest? What was happening in your life at the time? And we work our way through a lot of that. And we can often find that they were carrying something from childhood that then manifested with a catalyst event later in life. So when we start to see that we are vibrational beings, that we are a mix of different frequencies and vibrations, and when we're out of resonance, the result happens in the physical body, we start to see it very differently. And I can tell you sometimes that sometimes you just, um, 
you have a physical injury. I mean, I was hanging clothes on the clothesline last week and the place where the clothesline's, you know, about level of my third eye. And I turned around and I got a, a, a smack on the forehead and it, you know, was that an accident? Or do I need to pay more attention? What's the message? <laughs> so um, so when we say, oh, it's a physical injury, so okay, well, what's, what's happening energetically for this to have manifested in my life and what's it trying to teach me? I believe that's the secret of looking at some of the physical stuff that comes our way. Yes, absolutely. Now, what about the energies that we have carried over from other lives, where there was a particular event that created negative energy, which for some reason we have carried over to this lifetime, and it has manifested as an illness or an issue? How can we heal that by going to the past or another lifetime and break that energetic connection between the two realities? Well, let me offer you a concept and then I'll, sure. I'll tell a quick story that illustrates that. Mm-hmm. might be the best way to do that. We are the culmination of three lineages okay, in this physical form. You are the male and female energy that come to you through mum and dad, X and Y chromosome. But all of that comes down through the, uh, the lineage of the family lines. Now, two uh, biological beings come together, energetic quantum biological beings. They come together as two energy fields and they create a third energy field. Now, it just makes practical sense that what was in those first two energy fields, traces of that will be in the third one. And this is where we get instances of of, um, intergenerational trauma. And um, I'm reminded of a story of uh, a young man that I worked with who held deep and profound trauma about World War II. And the guy was like 30 years old. And he was able to tell me the complete story of how his the whole village was massacred and the a young mother had a baby and she threw herself over the baby as they were all um, massacred by machine gun. And um, in the railway station in their village, they were all crammed in there and, and killed. And um, some people coming down the road heard a baby crying. They went in and they found this horrible scene, rescued the child. That became his grandfather. Now, he was able to describe to me in great detail with tears running down his cheeks uh, the whole legend of that story. Now, obviously, it had been passed down through his family line, but he told it with um, a deep and profound connection to the trauma of that day. And that's what happens is we we pass the energy on from generation to generation, and, and obviously, we cleared that for him that day and set him free from it. So, But then there's the third lineage. So we've got maternal, paternal, and then we've got the soul lineage. What is it that this soul has chosen to incarnate into the interweave of these two energy fields of mum and dad? The soul comes in and you've got the combination of the three energy fields that bring us into this incarnation. Now, what we may hold in the soul lineage can also happen. I had a, um, a lady who had some trauma. She came to see me and she had neck issues. And this is out of the soul lineage this time. And she, when we went back to the source, she went back to a past life as a stockbroker in the great crash of uh, 29, I think it was, 1929, the stock market crash. She was a stockbroker in New York. 
uh, lost everybody's money, lost all their livelihoods, went home and uh, took his own life by hanging himself in the garage. And when she would get um, embarrassed or excited or whatever it might be, you know, some people get flushed in the face or they blush a little bit, she would have a white line around her neck. Wow. Now, um, and she was uh, very emotionally tuned to that. So um, we did this work and it was a male stockbroker, in fact. It was a male life that she'd chosen that time. We released him and and set him free and and dealt with all of that as we do. Um, And she didn't get the line anymore. Wow. It disappeared. So, and her neck issues went away. So these, uh, that's examples of both the intergenerational stuff and also the soul lineage. But what I want to say to people who may be experiencing some of this, the reason that you have incarnated potentially into that family line is to have manifested a, a stoppage in the energetic lineage to let that go so that it doesn't uh, continue on through branches of the family, whether it's kids, nieces, nephews, whatever. If you stop it in the generations before, you've set everybody free that comes from those generations later. If we move that back up the line and we set them free, then that spreads out across a family tree. If we look at the lineage of your soul, we look at the soul characteristics that are carried through from other lifetimes that are manifested here. We are a walking um, example of our soul lineage. If there's something that we've carried for many lifetimes, we may have brought that into this incarnation again with the intention to clear it and set those 20 lives free across time and space so i believe that we often incarnate into situations where we are here to bring healing not just to ourselves but to the multi-dimensional nature of who we are and in these times this is the bulk clearance of energy we're doing from the whole consciousness of humanity they're going to set us free and allow us to step into a new energetic field for the whole of our species i've got another perhaps difficult question What if our agreement at the soul level to design and live a difficult life, to learn many lessons and experience pain, trauma, loss, rejection, suffering, overestimated our capacity to deal with those experiences, or even our willingness to go through them as a personality and a human being over a long period of time? Can we end those experiences at will, even at the cost of not completing all the lessons in this lifetime and postponing the curriculum <laughs> to <laughs> to other incarnations? And if so, how? This is only one chapter of a very long book that we are all in at this moment, and, and this is not the end game. And sometimes it takes many lifetimes to to learn a lesson and we can always enter into this life in an ambitious way. And sometimes it's hard to stay. And, but there's no judgment on that. It's just, oh, okay, well, so you chose to come back early. That's okay. Uh, let's debrief and let's work out what you did learn and let's go back and continue the lessons in another incarnation. I mean, these are more the conversations that we've seen out of the research with the Life Between Lives work. But I had a beautiful example um, of somebody who was uh, on a course that I ran years ago. We were teaching some past life work. And she came to me and she was 
really nervous because we do the, the practical application of the work. She said, it's my turn tomorrow. I'm really, really, really nervous. And uh, she was um, 34 years old, this, this uh, person who was there to learn. And I said, well, okay, well, it sounds to me like your soul is getting ready. It's putting something in front of you. Go with the energy that's there. Go with this feeling of discomfort, this, this difficulty. Chase the difficulty into your soul lineage and let's see where it's coming from. Because by divine providence, these things often come out when we go uh, and learn about it. We learn through our own experiences. So she went into it and she found that there was a pattern of 17 lifetimes where she'd taken her own life at 34. And uh, that's what she'd been feeling. So we, we worked with that. We, we released it and we set her free from it and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> and she, she rang me on her 35th birthday to wish herself a happy birthday because <laughs> she'd made it. Uh, she'd made it this time. And she said, uh, I'm so glad that came up in the course yes. and we're able to set it free. And I'm here, I'm 35 and I feel great and I'm here to stay. Wow. And uh, that was a beautiful thing. So uh, this is this is how this stuff manifests. Uh, you know, I have I did some work many years ago with a, a, a wonderful psychic uh, up in Queensland called Charmaine Wilson. She was on the telly another time as well, and um, she um, honoured me greatly by asking me to come along to some of her workshops and, and do a little bit of work with the people. And she's grief is an area specialty of hers. And I remember working with a lady who whose son took his own life. And uh, he jumped off the balcony in front of her. He looked her in the eyes and then fingers almost touched and, and he jumped and he took his life. When we did some work with that, uh, we were doing some therapeutic type spiritual work to set her free from the profound grief of losing a child. He came through and he turned up in spirit and, and she's having this session and he's standing in front of her and, and he says, thanks for waking up. She said, what do you mean? And he said, well, this was all planned between you and me before I got here, that by me taking my own life, you'd pursue a spiritual quest to find out if I was still all right and all that sort of stuff. And she'd met mediums, she'd had sessions, she'd been looking at reincarnation, maybe my son will come back and he'll reappear in my life. So she'd done all of this work. And he said, yeah, you and I arranged this. My death was meant to be your spiritual awakening and looks like we've done it. Congratulations. And, and that's what happens in this space sometimes. So, you know, there's a, I know that this... And this helped oh, her? Oh, absolutely. She was set free because, uh, like all parents who've been through that situation, what could I have done? How did I find my son that he took his own life? But it would all been planned. You know, there's a lot of stigma, Anna, about suicide around the world. And um, when there is no such thing as death, that means a lot of the stigma out of suicide can start to disperse and dissolve and to understand that even those who are troubled and take their own lives uh, have taken perhaps a very difficult uh, lesson on board for this lifetime and it's it's not the end it's it's just a chapter is closed and another will open sure but of course it doesn't mean that uh, we would condone or encourage people to quit not at all in the face of difficulties or challenges as the very purpose of meeting these challenges I would suggest, is to go through them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's the first responsibility of the soul. Yes, of course. And every time we conquer a challenge, we give others permission to do the same. You know, the, the world is full of courageous people that do conquer the challenges and provide great role modelling for others to follow suit. And, um, you know, I've seen a lot of people, um, I, I know a lot of people who've survived suicide 
and uh, a suicide attempt and have then stepped into a very powerful role as a therapist to help other people and work with mental illness and you know that's that's heroic and they know how those people feel so there's great empathy and there's also a, a deeper understanding of how it can be conquered and they offer that back in Could you tell us more about the Institute for Quantum Consciousness? Okay. Thanks, Anna. We founded, as you said in the beginning, in 2013, and, you know, I'd done a lot of work with Michael Newton and the Newton Institute, and I started to get interested in quantum physics, started to see the overlaps. We talked about the essence of quantum consciousness. So to understand the overlap between science and spirituality, I think, is a great path for humanity to take because to find the best of those both and the overlaps is something that takes us to a new level of consciousness on this planet. The Institute was formed to do that. Uh, we train people in the quantum consciousness work since the book was published a while back. We're now doing cosmic consciousness to help people with off-world leanings, vibrational consciousness, which is like the out-of-body type of approach to uh, physical and emotional issues, and Gaia consciousness, which is about connecting into the ancient wisdoms of Earth, the new frequencies that are coming, etc., leveraging the lineage of our soul. So across those different courses... Um, I must admit we've moved away from the face-to-face uh, work because we were based in, in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, and it hasn't been possible to run those courses for a while and, and I no longer live in Melbourne. I'm in the countryside in New South Wales. So um, we're probably going to go online this next year. So we run those courses. The other things that we do is uh, as people come through, we list them as practitioners who actually offer this type of work and its services And there's some information in there about uh, the philosophies behind the work that we do as well. There's also a couple of other little interesting things on there. There's a a meditation program called the Transcendence Adventure, which is uh, nine meditations that help release people from anxiety or depression or just general sense of well-being. There's a great free uh, page there where you can download the materials for 2028, Here Comes the Light. Um, to encourage people to have conversations standing in 2028. We've manifested the world that we want. They stand there and they talk about the different things that have unfolded. And there's a full range of materials that go with that that anyone can download and have the spiritual equivalent of a Tupperware party, I guess. So, um, you know, there's there's a lot happening. There's um, different pieces on that website that, um, that can help people find their way uh, into a deeper understanding of who they really are. Lovely. So, Pete, what would be your final thought, a key takeaway for our listeners from this conversation, other than encouraging people to pursue this journey, perhaps, if that's what they are interested in? I would just like to say to everybody that you are far more than you believe yourself to be. You are, and I've seen it through thousands of eyes, through, you know, almost 20 years in this field now, that everybody is magnificent beyond their wildest dreams. They simply need to remember. So that's the first thing I'd say. The second thing I'd say is to offer gratitude for anybody who is listening to this. 
because you have courageously incarnated on a planet that needs you right now and that you've come here to make a difference. And that difference may be large or small, it doesn't matter. But as you step out of your, your front door and, and you go out into the world, if you carry the intention to make a difference to the world in, in the lives of anyone, whether it's opening a door for somebody, you know, just the small things, all of it contributes to the shift of consciousness that we're undertaking. The third thing I'd say is no matter how bad it's going to get, it will be better. You know, the, I feel that there are some things that we need to clear out in the energetic field of this planet, uh, of the consciousness of humanity. I think that's underway. But I think beyond that is something absolutely spectacular for all of us. So I want to encourage them to hold strong and be patient. It's coming. Wonderful. We could be talking here all day, Pete, but as they say, <laughs> all good things must come to an end. Thank you so much, Pete, for this enlightening quantum conversation, which I really enjoyed, and I hope that our listeners did too. And a great opportunity, Anna. I will include, as I've mentioned in the show notes, the links to your websites where people can contact you and places to purchase your quantum consciousness book, which I really recommend as a very good mind-stretching reading. Thank you, Anna. Thank you, Pete. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Anna, and thanks so much, and thank you for the great work you're doing to bring this to the world, all of the stuff that you do. Thank you. Thank you. That's all for today, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you really loved it, please post a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to encourage others to listen to it. For the show notes, guest and podcast info, reviews, comments, and much more, please visit quantumlivingpodcast.com. And if you'd like to dive deeper into quantum living and explore how you could work with me, please contact me and I'd be delighted to help and support you on your quantum journey. I am your host, Anna Anderson. I look forward to connecting with you in the next episode of Quantum Living. Until then, keep your vibrations high and be well.